Welcome to the Behold Do Good podcast. I'm your host, Todd Marchant, and this is a show for those who desire increased capacity, the capacity needed to live fully and to show up well for those you love. If your life is anything like ours, you often experience the reality that you don't have much to give when your own cup is empty. These struggles inspired my wife, Ashley, and I to embark on an ongoing journey of healing and wholeness. Our journey has not removed the challenges out of life, but it has given us practical tools to increase our capacity to deal with those challenges and to create the life we want. We created this podcast to share those tools so you can care for yourself and so we can together care for the world. Enjoy the show today. And if you're looking for additional support, head on over to beholdogood.com. Welcome everyone to the podcast. I'm joined here today by Alex Korb, who, you know, we've had a chance to have you speak to our audience a, a few times here over the last year, Alex, and uh, every single time it's it's an absolute pleasure and you provide such wisdom and insight. And so thank you for joining the show today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's take a second just to give you a, give the more formal introduction. So Alex, you're you're down in Southern California as a professor and neuroscientist at UCLA. So mm-hmm. go go Bruins! In fact, one of the fun anecdotes that I I love as I've gotten to know you, Alex, is that you you coach actually UCLA's women's ultimate frisbee team, and yeah. you do some stand up comedy on the side, which I think is a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I know I I used to do stand up. I don't I don't do stand up anymore. Do you integrate it into the, into the classroom at all? Well, yeah, I try to be funny. Yes, I, the humor <laughs> continues. Uh, so hopefully that's that's clearly evident to your audience. Um, but yeah, no, if anyone also has questions about how to throw a Frisbee or Ultimate Frisbee or anything like that, I'm happy to answer those as well. Maybe that can be our follow-up episode here. Sure. Uh, but the one of the other things, and this is where I I first you know came to know there in the in the corner of your room, you you see this book propped up, the upward spiral. So it's yeah, it's, I had to I had to do it. I was like, oh, everyone who has a book, when you have Zoom, you got to have your Zoom background, you got to have your book there, and you just have to, you know, that's just what you have to do. Oh, absolutely. But it's it's been something that's been actually a big support to my family and I, I I've got the upward spiral and on my bookshelf I've got the upward spiral workbook that you came out with afterwards uh, there as well and so just super grateful for your work it's a best selling book that has reached you know a lot of people so again thanks for being here yeah um great to have the chance to talk again I love talking about this stuff more than I like writing about it actually one of the, my first questions is it goes back to a conversation you and I had a few months ago. So we were discussing the upward spiral and a lot of your work and the concepts taught in that book. And the subtitle of the book is Using Neuroscience to Reverse the Course of Depression, One Small Change at a Time. And we had this conversation a few months ago where you said, you know, it was important that we were addressing depression directly. But there was a part of you that wished that you actually never even had the term depression in the book at all. And, and it was because you were emphasizing how these concepts apply to all of us, not mm-hmm. just those who are in a, a state of depression. And so tell us more about that. Yeah. I mean, the my original research, my PhD program was about depression. But the more I learned, the more I understood that there wasn't 
something technically wrong with the brain in depression. Uh, it seems like there's something wrong. Like, and because I have access to an fMRI machine, people are like, oh, scan my brain, tell me what's wrong with me. But like, there's not something that you can see on an MRI or a functional MRI or an EEG that will diagnose someone as like, oh, you have depression, you have too much activity here, you're, you know, your disconnection in this part. And, uh, and so I, I started to understand that this, these tools that are used to help improve mood or motivation or reduce stress, they don't just apply to depression. They apply to, you know, people with a human brain because these are just ways, simple life changes you can make in your actions or your thoughts that change the activity and chemistry of key brain circuits. And depression is just one way that those circuits get stuck in an unhelpful pattern of activity. But it's sometimes people get stuck thinking, you know, trying to focus too much, like, well, do I have depression or do I have anxiety or is my primary anxiety or not? Or like, if I don't have some diagnosable level of a mental health condition, then there's nothing wrong with me at all. And like the, those like black or white distinctions don't exist in the brain. And these diagnoses like don't exist in a clear way in the brain. And so the upward spiral is just the, the the way that we can change our brain through these small life changes to cause these small changes in various key brain circuits that may make it easier to be happier and, and more focused and more motivated. And because we're changing the brain, it makes further changes more automatic or more accessible. Uh, and so I really wanted to to share this information with everyone. I was like, this is something anyone can use to be, you know, have greater well-being. The publisher thought it was like really important for marketing purposes to, you know, really just focus on, you know, one target demographic of depression. Uh, but I, I really understood that it's much broader than that. And many people have told me, they're like, oh, I don't have depression. I found it extremely useful. And uh, I can totally understand why, because I, you know, I, I feel the same way. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I wanted to lead with that in our conversation today, because I, I just love the way you say that if you have a brain, you have a need to nurture that brain. And right. and if you want motivation, and if you want focus, and if you want happiness, and if you want the ability to calm the unnecessary stress and self doubt in our life, right. then there's a need for intentionality around certain practices in our life. Right. It's because your your brain um, didn't evolve to be happy, <laughs> at least not happy in our current environment and society. Uh, your brain evolved to survive and reproduce. Like those are the things that, you know, get passed on in our genes. And, um, and while, you know, it might be really important to you <laughs> to be happy and productive, that's not really um, written into our biology as much or to the extent that it is, it's very different in, in the environment where their brain evolved than in our current environment. 
So when you have a hard time, you know, finishing your novel or giving a public speech uh, or whatever it is, it's like, I always find it helpful to think back like, well, how, how did this work like in the environment where the brain evolved? Because obviously our society and technology has changed a lot in the last 50,000 years, but our brains have not. And so it's helpful to understand like, oh, there are some things that I have trouble with simply because that's how the human brain works and there's nothing you can do about it. And yet understanding that and accepting it like, okay, you know, you can't fly. That's, it's true that you can't fly. It doesn't frustrate you though, because, you know, maybe when you were three, you got really frustrated that you couldn't fly and then you accepted it and it's never bothered you again. So like once you understand like, oh, this is just how my body works, then stop being so frustrated by it. And you can focus your efforts on like, oh, well, what are the things I can do to actually change my brain to better adapt to the circumstances that I'm in? And that's a very individual thing because your circumstances are different and your uh, values are different, your goals are different, and even uh, your neurobiology is unique to you, the specific tuning of your circuits. We all have the same brain, but our brains are all unique. Yeah, it, it, may, it calls to mind this phrase one of my mentors says often that when you fight against reality, you lose 100% of the time. <laughs> And, and, you know, that, that coming to that recognition, that awareness of, of what are those things that are actually in our control and embracing the things that aren't, you know, accepting yeah. them and then focusing our mental attention on the things that we can't control, I think is really important. Yeah. So I want, I want to take a step back here for, for just a second, because I think this ties in, you know, well, that you started to describe a little bit earlier, but this idea of the upward spiral, I think that phrase in of itself tells a lot. And it's a phrase that I, I believe you borrowed from Barbara Fredrickson, a great, mm -hmm. uh, great psychologist out of one of my alma maters, the University of North Carolina. But I love the way you've expanded on that concept within the context of neuroscience. And so explain a little bit what you mean by the upward spiral. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know if she originally came up with the phrase or if it had been around she just sort of popularized the, it in research uh but it, the basic idea um, that she popularized was this idea that positive thoughts and positive actions tend to lead to positive emotions which generally tend to lead to further positive thoughts and further positive actions and it's a counterbalance to the downward spiral which most of us are familiar with with of like, you know, something happens that's kind of negative. And so then your thoughts get a little negative and you focus on the negative and then you don't take helpful actions because you don't feel like it, which makes your thoughts more negative. And then you really don't feel like, you know, exercising or eating right or whatever. And then that makes you feel worse and so on. And these, um, you know, both of these things are true. They're about how our, our behavior and our thoughts and our emotions are linked. And it's true, it's just that as a neuroscientist, <clears throat> I like to think of it in terms of the brain because none of that description has anything you know, specific about like, well, how the brain works and what's going on in our biology. And so I like to 
um, describe the upward spiral as this idea that small positive life changes in our thoughts, our actions, our interactions, our environment, these things cause positive brain changes in its um, chemical composition, in the communication between various brain circuits, even the ability to form new connections and grow new neurons. And these small brain changes make further positive life changes more accessible. Uh, and so I really like to, to focus on the mechanism of how that happens. And one of the reasons, like, it's funny, when I was first writing The Upward Spiral, the, my editor, after I turned in the first few chapters, was like, why are you spending all this time, like, explaining all this brain stuff? Like, just tell people, like, what they can do. Like, what can I do? And I was like, well, there's a million books that are just like, hey, do this, do this, do this. Like, and psychologists have known about what are the positive life changes that you can make. And even before research, like we knew that exercise is good for you and sleep is good for you. Um, but I found that for a lot of smart, successful, goal-oriented people, they, they want to understand why. I know that is at least the case for me. They don't want to just do something because someone's like, hey, this is good for you. <laughs> you want to understand like, why is it good for me? And the irony is, um, you don't actually need to understand why these things are good. Just get yourself to do all these things. Um, but if you don't understand why, then oftentimes it can feel like all these changes are being imposed upon you, which actually takes away from a lot of their benefit because it's not your choice. Whereas if you actually understand how these things work and how you have the power to change your brain and that there's not one correct answer that applies to everyone. No, these are the tools that you can use and you can figure out what's the right combination that works for your circumstances and your unique neurobiology. Then you're using science as a tool as opposed to like, you know, science forcing you to be a certain way. And it really increases your motivation to do these things there was a great study that found even when people who are stuck in depression understand that their um, uh, brain biology is malleable and can be reshaped that it decreases their pessimism about how things are going to turn out and it increases their sense their hope of agency yeah and this may be one of the reasons why your your book has always resonated with me. The the time you take to teach some of those core principles of what's occurring in the brain. I'm the I'm the type of person that yeah you know, we, we go to the, our pediatrician and and they're like giving some diagnosis or some thought about you know what's helpful, and then I just go into a million questions to want to understand. And my wife sometimes has to put her hand on my knee to, to, to tell me stop asking questions. Right. But that understanding I think is is truly truly powerful. And so one of the things that I think going back to that neuroplasticity of the brain, the ability for the brain to change, sometimes change can just feel so hard. You know, certain patterns of thought or behavior, ways of doing things can feel like they're just a part of who we are. 
And, and so being able to actually shift those things to be different, you almost insurmountable. So mm-hmm. can you take a minute to explain in the brain, you know, what, what kind of occurs that leads to those ingrained neural pathways and, yeah. and then what is the science behind what actually makes it possible to overcome those things that feel like they're just a part of who we are and, yeah. and make improvements and, and change to a new way of thought and behavior? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a that's a very big composite question. But the, to start with, um, it's it's really common for people to like blame themselves for being stuck in bad habits. But that's one of the reasons why I find it so helpful to understand how the brain works, because your your habits exist to help you survive in a complex world and they're um, controlled by one of the deepest parts of the brain right next to the brainstem called the striatum and and there's two parts of the striatum but the the one where we most think about of uh of habits as like being these routines that are deeply ingrained that was one of the earliest parts of the brain to serve uh, to evolve and basically it evolved on the principle of like, well, the world is super complex. I, how can we even know what to do or what's safe to do? Uh, well, the one thing you kind of know for sure is I'm alive now. So I guess I should just keep doing whatever I've been doing before. Uh, and it's like, you know, not a particularly well thought out plan. It's just like, oh, the, well, the simplest way to get an organism to survive. And that system guides a lot of our actions. And it's it's very closely connected to our emotional circuitry, the limbic system, which evolved much later. Uh, but they work in tandem with each other uh, to to get us through our day and accomplish most of our goals and to survive mostly on autopilot because they're just so fast and automatic. And these sort of more conscientious, thoughtful, analytical, strategic parts of the brain that are, you know, planning for our long-term goals or starting a company or what, like those evolved much later. And uh, it's important to recognize like, that our habits, when we follow them, we feel more comfortable. And when we change them or we can't do them, then it increases our stress. It increases the reactivity in the emotional circuitry, which automatically, because of how these systems work, automatically triggers the straight and the habit circuitry to try and get us to do our habits. Uh, and you can think of it sort of like if you were like literally stuck in a rut or you know, going down a deep groove. If you move a little to one side, then you're going up the steep walls of the rut and you kind of push back down towards the middle. And if you go too far the other way, like it pushes you back down the middle. And it's like the the path of least resistance is just to follow that groove and and the way it works in the brain. Always taken. Exactly. And maybe, you know, you, you just took it the first time for some random reason, but it kind of worked. And so then each time you take it, 
you dig that groove deep, uh, dig that groove deeper. And what's happening in the brain is like the neural connections are getting stronger. And if you try to deviate from that, your stress response is like, get back on track. And so uh, if your if your habits start taking you in a direction that goes against your long term goals, then it then the prefrontal cortex, the more thoughtful analytical part of the brain starts fighting with your um, habits. And we often lose because we have limited ability for willpower. And the moment you stop paying attention or stop trying to control it, well, your habits just take over because your habits and your emotions are kind of perfectly happy to go on living your life outside of your conscious awareness. And what what I find is really helpful is to realize that the, you know, we call things good habits or bad habits based on their long-term consequences. But the habit part of the brain doesn't really make a distinction between good or bad habits. Um, all habits benefit us in the short term sometimes just in the very short term to help us reduce our stress or to feel a semblance of control over the situation. But they might get in the way of our long-term goals, but it's helpful to realize like, oh, different parts of your brain want different things. And this part of your brain is just trying to get you to do whatever you've done before and not doing it is going to make you feel more stressful. And the way, one of the ways out of that, at least the start is to realize that often Yes, we want to change because some goal is really important to us and our habits are taking us in a different direction. But we also have this desire not just to change, but that that change be easy and not too stressful. And so then we're like, try to change and then it's really stressful and difficult. And it's just easier to fall back into that same pattern. And so you need to understand you know, what triggers that pattern, how to change that pattern. You also need a reason that's important to you to overcome that stress because by definition, like changing your habits will require some stress and some effort. Which actually leads really well into, into another question I have, but one comment on just what you shared, which I think is so enabling. Uh, another collaborator and friend of of the academy is this woman named Ashley Delello, and she's just this avid student of neuroscience. And her life is this powerful example of how you can overcome limitations of the body and mind as you focus on those core parts of our brain and how we adapt and change and improve uh, those things. But one of the things that she does or, or says to describe this very process you're talking about is that your brain will always choose the hell it knows than the mm -hmm. unfamiliar joy, the unfamiliar yeah. growth, the unfamiliar opportunities. And to me, again, that's helpful. That's helpful when yeah. I start to feel that natural push back to the way we've always, I've always done something to remember that there are unknown joys and opportunities ahead as we make these shifts. But as you said, there's this resistance. And and the longer we have have d thought things a certain way or, or behaved a certain way in our life, the deeper that, that trench becomes, 
the more resistance we feel. And so I love, I love that there's an emphasis, even in the subtitle of your book, of one small change at a time. And you mentioned going back to, you know, we-, well, we I, just, more, oh, I just also wanted to say something about, this is also one of the reasons why I like the neuroscience, because when we just think, when we ignore the brain, it can become very easy to be moralistic or to just toss around terms where, where people think like, oh, I'm, I'm weak because I can't overcome this. Or, you know, we borrow terms from psychology, like, oh, I just have a self-defeating pattern of behavior. I'm, you know, I'm sabotaging myself or I have a fear of uh, success or whatever. And like, sure, like some of those things can be good descriptors of like your patterns of behavior. But like, it's, it's simply some of that is simply that's how the brain works. Like anybody with a human brain, when they're changing long held patterns, it creates stress. And um, part of the emotional circuitry in the brain, the hippocampus, it's constantly monitoring our environment for what's familiar. And when things are familiar, we feel safe and comfortable because we know what habits to do automatically in familiar surroundings. And when you go somewhere new and adventurous, it increases our stress levels. Now, uh, that then pushes us back into our old habits or prompts us, which is which often prompts us to go back to familiar environments. But even doing those habits are familiar which helps make us feel safe even though those habits might be the problem like if you if you find you know like uh if you drink a beer to calm down after the end of a long day at work that's not a bad habit per se like there's nothing wrong with that it's just if then your brain's like oh that's a great way to deal with stress like, oh could let me just have a couple of beers. So let me just, anytime there's this problem. And then it's when it becomes the only way and it's the automatic way. And, but it's helpful to realize like you are not doing it for no reason. You're doing it because it helps you have a semblance of control in this world. It helps you calm down briefly. It's just that at some point you might realize like, I, but it's not, it, getting me where I want to go. It's not taking me to my long-term goals or it's not helping me live my values. And so I could do what helps me feel most comfortable right now, simply because it's, um, I've been practicing it for so long and it feels familiar and comfortable, or I could step into the unknown because the one thing I know for certain is that what's feeling comfortable right now is you know slowly killing me or it's or it's not getting me where i want to go and changing that is going to feel stressful because the unknown always increases stress but you sort of have the choice to make between um well do you want to move towards what's comfortable in the short term or do you want to move towards what's important to you and we want to be like i want both <laughs> at the same time and you're like Okay, well, that's not a uh, that's not on the menu, <laughs> but 
uh, I love understanding like the neuroscience because it stops you from blaming yourself for necessarily being this way. It's like, well, this is how your brain is right now. And the choice is up to you. You can't change everything about your brain, but you can start to make a new choice based on what is most important to you. Which is, again, where this idea of the upward spiral comes, that at first it may feel very, very difficult. But as you make one small change, one small shift, that reinforces that shift in a way that can it can feel easier the next time and then the next time until that becomes our new normal. That becomes our new, more ingrained pattern of thought over over you know a period of time but i think that introduces this this you know question that's probably a bit of a leading question but but as as you you know think about this these concepts of what it requires to change our naturally ingrained habits if you had the opportunity to say hey here's this area where i feel misalignment in my life and i want to grow in to go and do a 10-day you know all immersive retreat one time focused on that experience or to do something for three minutes a day, every single day, you know, what would you recommend and why? Yeah. I mean, like they, uh, they both could help for different reasons. Uh, because like, you know, sometimes when you're just stuck in a rut, like, well, just shake up the snow globe and like, Things right. like just disrupt you, you've, you've fallen into the same patterns uh, over and over again. And part of that is for a reason, because like, well, based on your previous experiences, like certain uh, things in your environment trigger certain actions and thoughts. And because you're in your same environment and you're always going to be doing the same patterns. And that's sometimes why it's helpful. It's just like, okay, well, totally change everything, change the environment you're in, start changing the patterns once you're in a different environment you might find it easier to start changing those patterns now going back to your regular life you're going to tend to fall back into your same old patterns uh because there's reasons <laughs> that you are like falling into those patterns because they're familiar and because the way your life is set up is triggering those patterns but hopefully if you've like had a break from it for 10 days and you've, you've created a strong enough resolve, then, and you've started to train some helpful pat new patterns, then when you're back in your old life, like, yeah, the deep groove is still there, but you've started to create a few small helpful grooves. So you're not starting from nothing. Uh, so that, you know, that can be helpful, but <laughs> unless, and perhaps this is where your leading question is going, unless you start to make consistent, small changes in your actual, real life, none of that is going to stick. Uh, and so you can either start with, um, okay, I'm just gonna make this small little change and try and be consistent about it. Or maybe you could start with, okay, I'm gonna go on vacation, I'm gonna go on a retreat for 10 days, and then when I come back, it'll be easier to make those small changes. Uh, but unless you can make some small change and, and be as consistent about it as you can, then it's unlikely to have lasting effects. And I just say, be as consistent as you can, because you're usually not going to be 100% consistent about it. Like, uh, 
and when you are not consistent about it, your habit of how you react to mistakes or errors, well, that's going to determine whether you, you know, recommit to trying to be more consistent or you fall back. And most people have a habit of self-criticism where they try and make some small change. Like I want to start flossing and they do it for a couple of days because they're excited and, and then they forget and they get mad at themselves for forgetting. Oh, that's so stupid. I could never change. And then we fall back in this habit of self-criticism. And so that habit is also one of the habits that's most um, helpful to change because that's going to often just push you back into whatever behavioral habits you're, you're trying to change because you're going to make mistakes when you're trying something new. It's like, that's what, you know, that's like what practicing sports is. You don't just learn like, Hey, here's how you make a free throw. And like, Oh, great. I make it hundred percent of the time. Like, no, like, even if you're amazing, athlete like you're gonna make mistakes okay so is making a mistake is that the reason why you're gonna give up or is that the reason why you're gonna recommit to trying harder or or, uh, giving more focus to change and many of us have like the fact that we've made a mistake that is the trigger for the habit of giving up and, and by the way, we do that habit, not for no reason, not because we're self-defeating, but because that helps us um, get our emotions under control. It helps us be less frustrated to give up. And so the, sometimes the question is like, okay, yeah, it's frustrating to try and make mistakes and not succeed. Yep. Like the only thing to do with that information is to accept it and to experience those emotions And to realize like, okay, well, you have the choice. You can either do what's more comfortable in the short term and not be as frustrated and continue in the path that you're on. Or you can introduce some likely frustration and stress. But that will take you to where, you know, uh, to where you're trying to go. And so again, the path, like we, we don't realize oftentimes that our, our actions aren't guided by these big values or big long-term goals. They're guided by trying to avoid certain feelings. And we don't even realize we're making that choice because it happens so fast and automatic in these deep parts of the brain. And sometimes we just need to recognize that and be like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to make that choice anymore. I'm not going to let this autopilot live my life for me, but I'm not going to get mad at myself for having an autopilot because it's simply a part of the human brain. I I can appreciate myself for the fact that my habits generally are very helpful and they help me live my life and succeed. It's just that in this one little tiny specific area, I just need to tweak it. So I don't need to change everything about myself. I just need to, you know, start to rewire this one little part of my brain. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. I, I think that's something that, that so many of us struggle with is that 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 harsh self-criticism and that perception that something's wrong with us if we make mistakes. And so taking a minute to again talk about the science behind how that occurs. And and I just think of this foundation of emotional resilience. 
is our ability to be mindful and present with those uncomfortable emotions. So when they occur, being accepting them as a important part of the human experience and being present with the physical discomforts that often come uh, with those uncomfortable emotions. It's amazing how when we do that, we're truly present and embrace and accept them, how much faster they move through us in a way that we can then move forward and take more positive action. And so really grateful for for that and, and for you know all the other comments we've talked about here related to how our brains work. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I love the term acceptance. It's like, except that like, oftentimes people read more into it than, than what is sort of meant by it. Like you described it in a great way, but like, you know, accepting and experiencing your emotions. Sometimes people mean like, think that means like, so I just have to, you know, be upset and frustrated and angry for the rest of my life. It's like, no, you just need to accept that you are frustrated right now like and you don't even need to accept it but that that won't your lack of acceptance as you said doesn't change reality like you still are frustrated and it, but just not accepting it as being your current reality just means that you're ignoring reality and now you're probably still angry at yourself and you're angry at yourself for being angry or you're frustrated that you can't change your emotions instead of just acknowledging oh, I'm feeling frustrated and then from there once you acknowledge your reality that mindful moment creates so many opportunities for one simply acknowledging the emotion that you are experiencing activates the uh, prefrontal cortex the um, more analytical parts of the brain in a way that automatically reduces the amygdala's emotional reactivity and so just acknowledging where you're at some like makes it easier to experience that emotion. And from there, you can notice, oh, like this emotion is pulling me, you know, it's triggering some specific habit because an emotion usually triggers a specific habit of uh, pattern of thought or pattern of, you know, behavior to that emotion. And you can see like, oh, I can see my stratum pulling me into you know wanting to yell or wanting to give up or wanting to whatever my habitual response to that emotion is and then just realizing like oh that's what i'm feeling compelled to do because that's the way my brain works so i could do that i've done that experiment before 500 times already i've i've seen what happens when i do this and then do that and i know the outcome and you don't have to change, but if you're tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again, then you, you actually want to change. You just also want that to be easier. You can't have both. So you can choose like, well, I can start to change. And when it feels stressful, I can remind myself, yep, that's, that's totally normal. I can validate that experience again, like this feels stressful. And what's your normal response to stress? Well, it's to go back into your old habits, but instead I'm like, oh, no, that's the normal experience. So I'm not, I'm not doing this just to torture myself for no reason, just to stress myself out for no reason. I'm doing this for my kids, or I'm doing this because it's important to me to have an impact on the world. And in fact, having those, like clarifying your values and what's most important to you 
that has been shown to reduce the stress response, to reduce the release of cortisol. So your, your emotional circuitry doesn't get quite so amped up, and then you're not feeling hold quite so strongly into your habits. And so it's always going to take, you know, some little bit more effort to do something new, but it's like, you know, it's easier to learn to surf on smaller waves uh, than on bigger ones. So if you can figure out like how to get those waves a little bit smaller by, um, you know, avoiding the triggers for your old habits or changing your environment or clarifying your values or generally exercising and sleeping well like all of those things aren't specifically going to necessarily change your habit but they're just going to calm your brain down a little bit so it doesn't quite take so much energy to get out of the that old groove all of this has just been so powerful alex you know our audience here is is an audience of people who are purpose-driven desire to do good in their families and in their communities and it can be so discouraging when you have these deep desires to do good and you just feel yourself not reaching that type of impact and influence that you want to have because mm -hmm. of your own limitations. And so I'm so, so grateful today for, for everything you've explained that helps us to understand what's occurring within those two ears we have on the side of our heads there <laughs> uh, to, to know that that we are normal and the things that yeah. we are experiencing are normal and that there is potential for change. We have agency, we have the ability to act and to create a different outcome in a way that leads to greater capacity to do the very good that we desire to. And so yeah. uh, again, grateful to have you as a, a friend and a collaborator to the Academy here and and grateful to to have you on the show. So where, where can our audience find you, Alex? The, uh, well, you can find the Upward Spiral, you know, on Amazon or wherever uh, uh, wherever you get books. There's an audio book. It's in 12 different languages now. I mean, I don't know if the audio book is, but the, the regular book. And there's also a card deck for people who, you know, just want to get jump right to the, the shortest version. Um, but uh, or you can come to alexcorbphd.com or follow me on uh, Instagram or, or Facebook uh, at Alex Corp PhD. Um, I have a mailing list. I, I send out lots of helpful uh, tips because uh, I realize, you know, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of different things. It's not just one secret. Oh, you just need to meditate. Like there's tons of different things. And so if people are interested in, uh, in all the different ways that they can start to change their brain, check that out. I also have a program they've created called the upward spiral method where I uh, coach people and work with them closely to implement all these changes because I like, I appreciate, you know, that your audience. And one of the reasons why I think like we resonate so well is like, we're trying to reach same kinds of people probably because we are similar <laughs> kinds of people. But like, I just want to say that like part of the reason why it's so frustrating is because you have a lot of talents and you have a lot of things that you care about. Like if you only cared about one thing, like if you only cared about making money, life would be easy. There's tons of people who like are really successful and make a lot of money, but they're not necessarily like happy and fulfilled. Uh, so if you like want to make a lot of money and have a lot of impact and 
have a good work-life balance and be happy and fulfilled, well, like you, you might have to make certain choices at some time, not for all time, uh, but your different parts of your brain want different things. And it's important to recognize like, oh, you have limited time. You have limited energy. You have limited willpower. Um, and once you can accept like, well, what your limitations are, then it frees you up to focus on like, well, what are the important things? What are the most important things that I actually have control over? And, um, you know, getting a handle on, on how to rewire your brain is I think the, the most important step. Absolutely. Uh, well, again, Alex, thanks for your encouragement, the hope that you've helped inspire with your work and the things you've taught our audience today. And, uh, hope, hope that, uh, the opportunities to continue to share this will, will multiply and will certainly be a part of that. So thank you, Alex. Yeah, you're welcome. I look forward to talking again. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please leave a review. As a new podcast, those reviews have such an impact on our ability to reach others who may find this beneficial. Also, tune into next week's podcast episode. After finishing this conversation with Alex, I told him we barely scratched the surface on what you have to share. And so he graciously scheduled another hour with me, and we did a follow-up interview that will be posted next week. While this week was all about understanding what's occurring in our brains so that we can have a deeper understanding, next week is all about practical things that we can do to move forward. What are some of the specific actions and tools that cultivate our brain's ability to change? So tune in next week to learn more.